back in 1986. It was my sophomore year in high school. And I was invited to a cake party and a Bible study within the same month. And I said yes to both. Now to understand how I ended up in those two very different places, I have to go back a few years. So you see, elementary school and middle school was, was pretty tough for me. Um, I got teased and bullied a lot. I was the big kid, I was the slow kid, the kid who got picked last in all the games, and so I was a pretty easy target. And all of that continued through middle school, through elementary school, into middle school, and then I went into high school and I joined the water polo team. This was out in Southern California where they played water polo, not in the Midwest here. Um, and so I joined the water polo team hoping for some place to belong. Well, freshman hazing was a pretty regular part of sports back in the 80s, and it definitely was a part of our coach's philosophy of teammanship. And so freshman hazing, there was a lot of teasing of the freshmen and, and a few beatdowns, and that was just part of the routine. And all the freshmen went through it. And then I made it through freshman year, we all did, and then I went into sophomore year and I got moved up to varsity because they needed another goalie, and I was the next one in line. So I'm, they, they moved me up to varsity where I became an easy target for the upperclassmen. I was the youngest guy on the squad, and I kind of received the worst of the, the bullying, the teasing, the beatings, and, and that just continued through sophomore year. And I got depressed. Um, back then, you did, no one called it depression. They just called it being a teenager. And so I got depressed. I didn't talk to my parents much. I definitely didn't tell them what was going on. I didn't really spend time with friends. I didn't go out much. And that went through, through sophomore year, through first semester, into second semester. And then one day, a friend of mine invited me to a beach party. Now in Southern California, beach parties were keggers. You go out somewhere, you tap a keg, you drink, and you party. And, and even though I, I knew that underage drinking was wrong, I shouldn't do it, I was generally a good kid, I said yes anyway. So I went there, I had one drink, I didn't like it, but I learned something very quickly. As long as I had the drink in my hand, I was a part of that group. I was welcomed, I was accepted, and we could all have fun together. Well, the night ended, went on with life. And then about a week and a half later, another friend of mine invited me to a Bible study. I had never been to a Bible study before. I didn't grow up Christian, my family didn't grow up Christian. I went to church a couple times with my grandparents. And I, I do remember, I do remember looking up once, I was watching a, a football game, and I saw a crazy rainbow-haired guy in the end zone holding a John 3.16 sign. So I actually looked it up. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. <laughs> I found, I must have known it was Bible, because I found my, my mom's old King James Bible and looked it up. So I, this guy invited me to a Bible study. I was like, sure, because the truth is I was just glad to be invited somewhere. So I went, and it was amazing. The people were nice. They were warm. They welcomed me, a total stranger. 
The funny thing is I don't remember a single thing that was taught. I don't remember the lesson. Even then I didn't remember the lesson. I don't even remember if I said anything. But I remember how I felt accepted. And that was not something I was used to feeling among my peers. So after the Bible study ended, I, I walked out. I walked out on, into the driveway. This thing had shaken me up so much. I walked out and I started pacing in, along in the driveway because I did not know what to do with this experience. And someone must have seen me through the window or noticed I was gone. Or, and so the, the, the youth pastor came out and we started talking and, and I told him this. I said, I don't know what these people have, but I think I want it. And so we went inside, we knelt down on the living room floor, and he led me in a prayer to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Then I went home. Well, the next day at school, something equally amazing happened. So two of the girls that were there at the Bible study, they, they found me, and I didn't know them, I had just met them, and they found me and they gave me something. They gave me this cup. Now they were both cheerleaders, and they, they wrote down in puffy paint, which has much faded by now, they wrote down the names of all of the people who were there at the Bible study. 1987, and they say, enjoy your life with Christ. God loves you. And they filled it with all kinds of little things. Little construction paper hearts that says God loves you. Little crosses they had cut out. Little verses they had written down again in puffy paint. And, and they stuffed this. Now, I don't know when they did this from 9 o'clock the last night to 8 a.m. the next morning. But they did. And they didn't even know me. It was amazing to experience love from another person like that. Because that's not how I experienced my peers. I did not know that that type of love existed. So this cup, this cup in many ways represents the best of God's love for us and for me. Well, so I started going to church. I, start, I got a Bible. I started reading my Bible, and I continued going to that, that small group, that Bible study, and I grew, and, and over the, the, the next year and a half, next two and a half years of high school, I finally began to understand that verse that I read after the football game. I finally understood what John 3.16 meant, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I understood that now. Because I had eternal life with God because of that night. Because the way God reached down and touched me. Well, God's done a lot of amazing things since then to turn me from who I was into who I am, but truth be told, there are some days 
I still feel like that lonely sixth grader that nobody wanted to pick for their team. I still feel like that depressed 10th grader looking for some place to belong. And when those times come, I remind myself, I force myself to remember that God loves me. And he accepts me just the way I am. He wants more for me, but he loves me. And in case you've forgotten that, let me be the one to tell you this morning. God loves you. And so do we. So that's just one of my stories. I have lots of stories. So do you. We have family stories and we have work stories. Some of you have a refugee story. Some of you have stories of joy. Some of you have stories of sorrow. Most of us, we have both. But the most powerful story you can have in your life is the story of God working in you. That is the most powerful story that you can have. And that's what this story is about. Or that's what this series is about. It's called Stories. Everybody's got one. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you have a story with God. And a lot of us, we have short stories and long stories. We have deep stories and shallow stories. We all have stories. And over the next four weeks, you're going to hear a lot of stories. You're going to hear them from me, my wife, Peng Fua. You're going to hear stories from the Bible of people who encountered Jesus. And you're going to hear stories from others in this church, people sitting to your right, to your left. So you're going to hear a lot of stories over the next four weeks. So think of this, think of this a little bit more um, It'll be a little less teaching, a little more storytelling. Less sitting in a classroom and more sitting around a campfire. Less CNN, more YouTube. And my hope in this series, my hope is that you can begin to think about the story of you and God. You can begin to get a picture of what it looks like to have a story, a powerful story that you could tell of you and God. I want to help you see the story that God is already writing in your life. And maybe, just maybe, you'll begin to see what it could look like to let God write more of your story. That's what we're going to be doing next four weeks. So, have you ever been nervous to tell somebody you're a Christian? You've ever been nervous because you're not sure what to say, and you just, you'll just mumble through your yeah, yeah, yeah. You just get nervous. Or have you ever been nervous to tell somebody part of your faith story? Because what if they ask you a question and you don't know how to answer it? Then you're going to look dumb, and then God's going to look dumb, and they'll say no to Jesus because you come to answer a question. Okay? That's, that's very real. 
Or have you ever gotten so nervous you start getting like dry mouth and pit sweats and excessive flatulence? It's true, that's actually a thing, look it up, okay? Well, today we're gonna read a story. We're gonna, we're gonna read a story about a guy who faced all of those same things, but he didn't let those fears stop him. In fact, he busted right through those fears. See, this is a story about a man who was born blind. And as a result, he couldn't work. So he had to beg. He begged for food. He begged for money around town. Jesus ran into him. Jesus healed him, and Jesus gave him a story to tell of that healing and the impact it made on his life. But before we dive into that one, I'd like you to hear another story. See, we, hear, we, we read stories of God healing 2,000 years ago, but God still heals today. So I'd like to share with you another story. Sure, why don't you come on up here? Thank you so much for, uh... my name is uh, Cherher, and um, I'm going to tell my testimony or my story. I name it, can I take it? Yeah, yeah, okay. Cher's testimony about his car. Accident on July 2nd of 1990. I was born in a Christian family in 1975. We moved to the U.S. in 1980, in, 19, in 1987. I stopped going to church because of going to the parties and hang out with my, with my friends and the gang. On Monday night, on Monday, July 2nd of 1990, I had a car accident that I got thrown out from the car and injured my head and broke my leg. In the hospital, I didn't wake up three days after. And some of the people that came to visit me said to my family, just take church life support off because I will not be able to come back alive, and if I come back alive, I will be mentally disabled or mentally retarded. My family answers them, no. On the fourth day, the doctor asked my family, is it okay to pull my life support off or not? Then my family said, no, don't take church life support off. When I woke up after my coma, I was like a newborn baby because I didn't know who I 
And, and also, I didn't know who were my family. I remembered my family a couple of weeks later. I saw God's hand working on me right away because of my families, relatives, and friends were all praying for me. I did, it, it, it did took me a while to wake up after about two months in a coma. I felt sad, mad, angry, and disappointed because my body is disabled like this but a year or year and a half. I am happy that I'm like this because it's better than dying. I met God when I was in a coma because he went down to hell and God took me out of Satan's hand and brought me back to be alive. Now that I'm back alive, I talk to God all the time and he answered my prayers. I have faith in Jesus Christ because he was the one that created me and gave me a life to live. The gang members, the gang members does not love me like Jesus Christ does. Life with God after the hospital was awesome. Great, happy love because I am free of death. I felt love, caring, peace, free, patient, reading the Bible more. No more pain, no more sorrow, and no more stealing. God has made the biggest difference thing in my life are to love my families, go back to church, pray and spend more time with God, love to sing, and be kind to people. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my life. Thank you. go from the story of one man being healed back 2,000 years to another man being healed. And in this man's story, we see three secrets to discovering God's story in us. So we'll start with verse 1 out of John 9. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now we pause. Because this, this verse right here, this is the heart of every good testimony. So that the works of God might be displayed in him or her. You see, your story tells of God's work in your life. Your story isn't about you. Your story is about God. And I tell my story and Church told her his story, hopefully to give you a picture of God 
not us. How real God was, how undeserving we were. But it's because of what God did. God working in the lives of regular people. That's what our stories are about. Let's continue. After saying this, Jesus, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Okay, we just got to pause here. This is one of the weirdest healings in scripture. You realize that, don't you? <laughs> Whoa, Jesus. Okay, can we do something else? Touch, wave, alter, anything but the, the goober mud. Okay, but that's what Jesus did. Then he said, go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Wait, isn't this the man, the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that it, it, it was. Others said, no, no, he only looks like him. See, no facial recognition here, no Facebook profiles to check. Some said yes, some said no. He's, but the man himself said, I am the man. That's the beginning of his story. And he gets to tell parts of his story over and over again. No, I'm the guy. They ask, where is this man? They ask him, I don't know. I love his answer. I don't know. Um, this Jesus guy made some mud, put on my eyes, I washed, I can see now. After a lifetime of not seeing. Where'd he go? I don't know. <laughs> I love it. No pretense. No trying to make up an answer so you won't lose face or to try to make yourself smarter, because I'm sure nobody in here does that. <laughs> None of that. I don't know. And, he, and the best part is he didn't care that he didn't know. See, your story doesn't have to have all the answers. Your story does not have to have all the answers. See, one part, one part of my, my story um, that I didn't mention was during that Bible study, we closed in prayer, and everyone held hands, which, by the way, I thought was a little strange. I would never done that. I'm like, okay, well, she's kind of cute. Hey. No, okay. <laughs> you know, Bible study dating right there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good, good, good. Swipe right. Okay. So, so we hold hands. I'm like, okay, it's a little weird. And, everyone, and people start praying and popcorn prayer, whatever that was, okay? And then a really weird thing started to happen. My arms started to sort of become electric on each side. And it's not that feeling of, you know, like you raise your hand in prayer for a while and all of a sudden you start, your fingers start getting tingly. Okay, no, it's not that. It's not just lack of blood. I did not know what was going on. And I did it for a long time. Now I understand. I understand that was the Spirit of God inside me. That was the power of the Holy Spirit inside me, probably for the first time. And I did not know what to make of that. That was part of what kind of freaked me out that whole night. But I could not answer that. I could not explain that. Because your story doesn't have to have all the answers. So let's continue with this guy. 
They brought, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. See, you think him just saying, I don't know, that would have been the end of it. No. They decide to take him to like the head honcho church pastor leaders. These were the Pharisees. These were the religious leaders. These were the most powerful people in Israel. They also served kind of like the court, um, the police, things like that. So they, they take him to the Pharisees. And then they start in with this conversation. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm jumping ahead a few verses here at this point. Um, speaking of the Pharisees, they still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. They went and got his parents. Man, embarrassing. Shut up, Mom. Come on. Okay? They went to go get the guy's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? I love his parents' answers. We know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him, he's of legal age. <laughs> He'll speak for himself. Man, the parents are out of there. <laughs> Ask him. So a second time, the Pharisees, they summon the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man that's Jesus. We know this man Jesus is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. In this answer, he gives one of the most powerful testimonies, one of the most powerful stories in all of Scripture. I was blind, but now I see. It was so good. That line was so good. This, this story is so good, it made it into the single most famous Christian song of all time. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Your story can be as simple as two words. Your story can be as simple as two words. That's all it takes to tell someone about the power of God. That's all it takes to show someone that God is real in your life and can be real in theirs. Two words. And it looks like this. I was blank, now I'm blank. We all, if you are a follower of Christ, you have this story. For me, I was rejected. Now I'm loved. I was depressed. Now I'm hope-filled. I was bullied. But now I am accepted. What two words would you pick? I mean, think about that for a moment. Think about that for real. What two words would you pick to fill out these two sentences? I want you to think about two words right now. What two words? That's all, just two words. What would you pick? 
what would your two-word testimony be? Do you have two words? Well, I want to do something a little different here. I want to give you a chance to share your two-word testimony. I'm going to give my wife here the microphone. She doesn't know I'm asking her to do this. Okay? If you would like to share your two-word testimony, go on and raise your hand. She'll come on over and we'll pass the mic to you. I've got a story, but you've got a story also. I was blank. Now I'm blank. Who would like to share? We've got some great stories out there, I know. Hey. I was dead, but now I'm alive. Amen. Who else? I was scared, but now I'm chosen. Who else? Two words. Open your heart and let God give you two words this morning. I was a sinner. Now I am born again in Christ. Amen. Who else? Who's got two words they want to share? Few more. There we go. One right behind you. <laughs> I was broken, but now I'm whole. Amen. Amen. One more. Two words right up here. I was lost, but not renewed. Amen. Do you have two words to share? Anyone else? Okay. Thank you. Now, for some of you, some of you, that might have been hard. You might not have known what to say. You might not have known what two words to pick. And if that means that, and you can't quite figure that out, it might mean that you've never really let God write your story. You might have gone to church. You might have prayed. You might have tried to serve others. You might have re read your Bible. But have you let God write your story? And for those who have, maybe there was a time when you were letting God write your story. You were letting him lead you. But now, maybe you're writing your own story. You got a career going on. So you're in school. You're looking to move forward. You're, tr you're trying to start a family. You're raising a family. And you're writing your story. And maybe today is a day that you need to decide, okay, God, I want to let you start writing my story again. I've been, the, I've been my own author for too long. And maybe some of you have never really let God 
be your author, to write your story. That's what the word Lord basically means. When you let Jesus be your Lord, he's the one who writes your story. And so today I want to close with a prayer, and I want to give you a chance to pray a prayer to let God write your story, to let God have control over your life. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, whether you're maybe not even sure you've ever let God take control of your life, or it's just been a while and you've been running the show for a little while now, Here's a prayer that we can pray. I want you to pull up that prayer up on the screen here. And we can close with this prayer together collectively. So if you want to pray today to let God be the author of your story, to write a new chapter, maybe to rewrite an old one, and bring some healing and some hope into some pain in your life, here's a prayer that we can pray together. So, so join me if you want to pray this. You can pray this out loud. You can pray this quietly. But if you'd like to pray this this morning, let's do that. God, I have been in control of my life and my story. I give that to you today. I give you my life, my fears, my goals. You are the Lord of my life. Write me a story that brings glory to you. Amen. Now, let's all join me in a closing prayer. God, you are our creator and our sustainer. The very life we have comes from you and is held together in you. And by that, you are our author. God, I pray for all of the stories in this room here. The stories of joy, I pray that they can bring glory to you. And Lord, we can celebrate and thank you. The stories of sorrow, I pray unprecedented comfort into those stories. God, I thank you for my own story. God, that you took us a lonely, rejected kid and brought him into your family. Your eternal family and your, your family here on earth. God, and you changed the tra trajectory of my life. And so I thank you. And I thank you for every life in here whose trajectory you changed, whom you saved from physical death, from emotional death, from, from spiritual death. God, I pray right now for those who might not have a story with you. Regardless of the things they've done, Lord, I pray that they can have a relationship with you. Pull them into your heart, pull them into your presence, pull them into your family today. And let them decide like I did, yes, Jesus, you are my personal Lord and my Savior. God, write us a new story. Thank you for the story of river life. Continue to be the head of this church, Jesus, and continue writing our story. So we thank you for Jesus Christ, 
the one who died for our sins, the only great story in our lives. So we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his love, and we thank you, God, that you love us not for anything that we do, but exactly for who we are. And in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, I pray. Amen.